This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Previously on Election Rewind. This has been a wonderful exercise in democracy. Today, I want to be as clear as that glass about who I am and why I'm running for president of the United States. Thank you very much. And thank you, Iowa. Thank you for the biggest victory in the history of the contested caucuses here in Iowa. Welcome to our 115th town hall meeting here in New Hampshire. <laughs> Dad's trying to link me to Bill Clinton didn't work. People of this state don't appreciate it and neither do I. This is what's going on around here. And it's wrong. And it's wrong. It is the victory of a messenger who is a reformer with results. I've just begun to fight. Episode 3, The National Spotlight. I am humbled and I am grateful for the confidence that you have expressed in me and I am proud to accept your nomination to be the next Vice President of the United States. Why did he choose me? Uh, of course, you should ask Al Gore why I was the right choice because he made it, but uh, I can only tell you what the press said at the time. Former United States Senator Joseph Lieberman. Which is that we were both uh, kind of center, uh, uh, new Demo- centrist New Democrats, so he was in a way doubling down on his own image as Bill Clinton did when he chose Al Gore to be his vice president. There's also a feeling, and and you'll be surprised to hear I never really talked to Al Gore about it, that because he was concerned and his campaign was concerned about the impact of the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal on his campaign in 2000, and I had uh, stood up and was the first Democrat to uh, essentially um, speak out against what President Clinton had done and asked him to account more fully for it. The truth is that after much reflection, my feelings of disappointment and anger have not dissipated. Except now these feelings have gone beyond my personal dismay to a larger, graver sense of loss for our country, a reckoning of the damage that the president's conduct has done to the proud legacy of his presidency and ultimately an accounting of the impact of his actions on our democracy and its moral foundations. In this case, the president apparently had extramarital relations with an employee half his age and did so in the workplace in the vicinity of the Oval Office. Such behavior is not just inappropriate, it is immoral and it is harmful for it sends a message of what is acceptable behavior to the larger American family, particularly to our children. Perhaps that was on his mind as well when he chose me as a kind of um, protection 
against being in any way held accountable for what President Clinton had done. Here comes Joe Lieberman, a senator from Connecticut, uh, willing to criticize the Democratic president. Journalist and political analyst Juan Williams. A lot of people didn't like it. Uh, Joe Lieberman saw it as a sign of his independence uh, from the Democratic Party, um, that he was willing to speak clearly and honestly, in his opinion. Um, And suddenly you have Al Gore embracing Joe Lieberman for the vice presidential nomination as a sign, I think, of his willingness to distance himself from Clinton and the Lewinsky scandal. I can say as a friend of, of Tipper and his for 15 years now, because he's he's a good, strong family man, devoted to his to his parents, his wife, his kids, uh, and a person who has taken those personal values. And my grandson. Oh yeah, thank you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> As we say in the Senate, I accept the amendment. All right. So you see Lieberman there kind of as a bridge. And I think a bridge not only away from Clinton, but a bridge that would suggest that Gore was a centrist and someone that, again, the American people could rely on in terms of steady, reliable governance. Mr. Chairman, delegates and fellow citizens, I am honored by your nomination, and I accept it. I think Dick Cheney was the right choice because you had a very young uh, president, although an executive governor, who lacked the kind of foreign policy experience that would be needed to balance a ticket and defense experience. Senior advisor to George W. Bush, Brad Blakeman. So it was a compliment between executive experience and someone who was seasoned and well-known and had numerous jobs under numerous administrations and was a known commodity. So um, I wasn't surprised. I, quite frankly, I was, uh, I was relieved um, that uh, the president would pick somebody older than he was. And I, I think that speaks to how comfortable he was in the partnership they formed. Madam Secretary, On behalf of the Maryland delegation, I'm honored to cast all 31 votes for my brother, the next President of the United States, George W. Bush. The theme of the convention was compassionate conservatism and and, uh, and, an economy that worked for all. And that was the message of the convention. And I think we we did it very well by our speakers. The sick nations that still pursue the fool's gold of tyranny and weapons of mass destruction will soon find themselves left behind in the dustbin of history. They are investing in their own demise as surely as the Soviet Union did by investing in the Red Army. They are of the past and we are of the future. Count on it. It was a balanced program. Uh, you know, everybody who needed to speak spoke. We remember those great Republican presidents who sustained American leadership through the decades, ended the Cold War, and lifted our nuclear nightmare. Thank you, Gerald Ford. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. Thank you, George Herbert Walker Bush. There wasn't much drama in the in the platform, which that's where the you know, the drama happens in the platform committees prior to the convention. So we didn't see a lot of drama, but we, we, we saw a theme that played out then 
over the next 90 so days. My friend Governor Bush believes in an America that is so much more than the sum of its divided parts. He wants to give you back a government that serves all the people, no matter the circumstances of their birth. And he wants to lead a Republican Party that is as big as the country we serve. After the convention is compassionate conservatism, um, you know, the ability to, to take our schools back um, and, and have standards that, you know, rose uh, our education to where it should be for a country uh, and a leader of the world. Um, a strong defense, hit all the traditional Republican themes. In this election, they will speak endlessly of risk. We will speak of progress. They will make accusations. We will make proposals. They will feed fear and we will appeal to hope. They will offer more lectures and legalisms and carefully worded denials. Well, there were two key messages at the Republican National Convention in 2000. One was that Bush was not simply the son of George H.W. Bush, that he was his own man, and that he was not too inexperienced to be president of the United States, having not really held much in the way of political, federal political office. He'd been a governor in the state of Texas, but he had never held uh, any federal office, and now he was going to have to confront federal issues. There was a great deal of criticism of his lack of international travel, a highly critical look at him coming from the Democrats, but even from some within the party. Thank you for this honor. Thank you for this honor. Together, we will renew America's purpose. Well, we needed to set up the general election because conventions are basically the transition period between the primary season and the general election. Chief strategist for George W. Bush, Carl Rove. So you want your candidate to come out of there with a strong image of what the themes are, to have laid down the themes for the general election. We wanted to say, first of all, that he was a different kind of Republican. Uh, we wanted to say that this was a guy who was open to the diversity that America was beginning to show and that he was going to take the country in a different path than the sort of the intense partisanship that had divided uh, the Republican Congress and uh, the, the, the Clinton administration, that we were going to be able to put that behind us, that he was a guy who demonstrated that he was able to work across party lines to achieve big purposes in Texas on education reform, juvenile justice reform, welfare reform, uh, and legal reform, and that he'd be able to bring those same skills of bipartisanship for the, for the country in the general election. Too many American children are segregated into schools without standards, shuffled from grade to grade because of their age, regardless of their knowledge. This is discrimination, pure and simple. The soft bigotry of low expectations. And our nation, and our nation should treat it like other forms of discrimination. We should end it. Second of all, we wanted to show him as a compassionate conservative. We wanted to show him as somebody who is conservative in his soul, uh, and, but, and, but, and, shared a, a compassionate streak that led him to try and apply conservative principles to the challenges that people were facing in their lives, whether it was the problems of homelessness or poor education or uh, lack of job skills or you know, a, a sense that they were not part of the American dream. In Midland, Texas, where I grew up, the town motto was the sky's the limit, and we believed it. There was a restless energy, a basic conviction that with hard work, Anybody could succeed, and everybody deserved a chance. 
Our sense of community, our sense of community was just as strong as that sense of promise. Neighbors helped each other. There were dry wells and sandstorms to keep you humble, lifelong friends to take your side, and churches to remind us that every soul is equal in value and equal in need. Third, we wanted to basically say, without spending a lot of time on it, that, that he would be different, that we'd be able to, to turn the corner, to you know, end the chapter on the Clinton era of you know, Monica Lewinsky and impeachment. America has a strong economy and a surplus. We have the public resources and the public will, even the bipartisan opportunities to strengthen Social Security and repair Medicare. But this administration, during eight years of increasing need, did nothing. They had their moment. They have not led. We will. We went into the convention behind, uh, and I actually went to Italy for a week to to get away from everything to do a draft of the convention speech. Campaign strategist for Al Gore, Bob Shrum. Someone put something in Newsweek about what was I doing in Italy, taking a vacation. I wasn't. I was holed up in a in a in an apartment writing, uh, and I came back, and Gore had written his own version of the acceptance speech, and so. What we did, and this was Tad Devine's idea, he was a partner of mine as well, what we did was uh, have Gore deliver the entire thing, 12,000 words, two drafts, uh, and then cut them up into, into, into reasonable pieces, two, three-minute segments. Uh, and we spent, I think, about two hundred or $300,000 focus grouping uh, uh, those excerpts to see what worked and what didn't. And that process went on for several weeks as we moved toward the convention, practiced the speech. We would get the results each night. We would alter the speech to, to fit those results. Uh, and uh, we were pretty confident by the time we got there that we had a very effective acceptance speech. The great state of Iowa cast all 57 votes for the next president of the United States, Al Gore! (laughs) But now, we're in a general election, and it's absolutely essential that we get behind Al Gore. I support him, I endorse him, I'll work hard for him, our country needs a Democratic president, a democratic Congress, and most important, a democratic conscience. Electing Al Gore and Joe Lieberman is the right thing to do. Well, it was thrilling. I guess the most salient emotion I had just was hard to believe that I'm here and I'm going to be nominated for vice president. Years ago, when I worked for the Children's Defense Fund, we had a trademark. Leave no child behind. And we've made great progress in the last eight years. We still judge too many Americans by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character, and that's wrong. This Democratic Party under Al Gore will not rest until true justice is done. My wife uh, was asked to introduce me to the convention 
She did a really great job. I remember as we were both waiting uh, at the end of a long walkway out to the podium, she went first and um, I said to her, are you nervous? And she said, no. And uh, she said to me, are you nervous? And I said, no. Okay, so we get, we know what we got to do. Our opponents want to use America's hard-earned surplus to give a tax break to those who need it least at the expense of all of our other needs. Under their plan, the middle class gets a little and the wealthy get an awful lot. As a matter of fact, their tax plan operates under that old theory that the best way to feed the birds is to give more oats to the horse. Think about that. I'm laughing because when we go back to our room after both speeches, which were well received, in the hotel room, at the end of the night, late, and I said to her, I cannot believe what we just did. I mean, then we, we got, you might, it's not that we got nervous, but it was like, it was almost like it was other people. So what I remember about the Democratic Convention in 2000 is a kiss. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my husband, our next president of the United States, Al Gore. I remember that Al Gore looks like a... <laughs> like a 1930s movie star when he takes Tipper Gore in his arms. She leans backwards. He's over the top of her. And it's a deep, long-lasting kiss uh, that I think all of America saw. And it suggested, of course, that he was a faithful husband, quite taken with his wife and she with him, uh, and quite a contrast to what was going on with Bill Clinton and uh, Monica Lewinsky and the difficulties there of a man involved with extramarital relations. So again, it was playing to the audience in suggesting that Al Gore was a reliable, steady figure for the Democrats to choose at that moment. I know you won't mind if I single out someone who has just spoken so eloquently, someone I've loved with my whole heart since the night of my high school senior prom, my wife, Tipper. We've been lucky enough to find each other all over again at each new stage of our lives, and we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Now, remember, he had been, as Clinton's vice president previously, part of that new generation look, but the sex scandals and a lot of the sense of being tired of Clinton at this juncture this required or mandated that Gore establish his own identity. And the kiss was absolutely the epitome of a separate identity from Bill Clinton. So to the young people watching tonight, I say this is your time to make new the life of our world. We need your help to rekindle the spirit of America. Believe in our country. We believe in you. And I ask all of you, my fellow citizens from this city, that marked both the end of America's journey westward and the beginning of the new frontier. Let us set out on a new journey to the best America, a new journey on which we advance not by the turning of wheels, but by the turning of our minds, the reach of our vision, the daring grace of the human spirit. Yes, we have our problems, 
But the United States of America is the best country ever created and still, as ever, the hope of humankind. One of the things we kept doing in practice was say, go faster, go faster, go faster. One of the phenomena that people don't necessarily understand is that a speech delivered in a giant convention hall elicits applause that is heard longer in the convention hall than it's heard on television. So what you need to do is surf the applause. So as as it begins to die down, you go into the next line. And it doesn't matter if some of the people in the convention don't hear the beginning of the next line. The people watching on television hear hear that, and the speech has a lot of energy. And so Gore, who, who went in somewhere, depending on what poll you're talking about, you know, 10 or 12 points behind by a couple days after the convention was about five points ahead. If we allow ourselves to believe without reservation that we can do what's right and be the better for it, then the best America will be our America. In this city of angels, we can summon the better angels of our nature. Do not rest where we are or retreat. Do all we can to make America all it can become. Thank you. God bless you. God bless America. Get the next episode of Election Rewind the moment it's released. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Alien Gonzalez has gone home to Cuba. Thus ends an eight-month saga that began with a rescue at sea and ended with a Supreme Court decision not to intervene. Two explosions destroyed the bow section. The hull plunged to the bottom of the Barents Sea, killing all 118 on board. Continuing now our coverage of the crash of the Air France Concorde. Laura and I are honored to be here in the great state of Pennsylvania. We're proud to be here with our friends, the governor and Mrs. Ridge, a man who's done such a great job for this great state. We had a great convention. The convention was in Philadelphia. We began with a, a train trip, leaving Philadelphia, making our way across the state to the west and then entering the critical battleground of Ohio. But yeah, we felt like we had a good convention and momentum was on our side. We were still behind in the polls, but we felt like momentum was there. And we also felt like we had a good argument to make, which was we were the change agent. and. Uh, by this time, Gore had gone through several personas, the fighting Al Gore, the thoughtful Al Gore, the you know, blah, blah, Al Gore. I mean, he could never seemingly figure out who he was. And that Bush, because he had this, you know, this was an expression of his reality, his authenticity. We felt good coming out of the convention. I feel good about our chances because we're running a positive campaign, a campaign that lifts this spirits country. We're running a campaign of good ideas that will reach the hearts and souls of every American. Let me tell you what I've seen. America is sick and tired of the politics that try to tear somebody down to build themselves up. America, America wants an administration that will appeal to the better angels of our country, not our darker impulses. America is looking for a uniter, not a divider. And America wants somebody who's going to keep the peace. No, I thought that the messaging was great. I thought the events and the energy were exactly what I had experienced uh, with his dad um, in in the uh, first election. Um, so I was pretty upbeat that, that uh, we were going to win. I knew it was going to be close, but there was always a good sense uh, that we were going to win. There was never any trepidation that, uh, you know, there's, there's even a chance of us 
losing except for a very brief period. Listen, thank you all very much for your hospitality. I'm here to ask for the vote. Hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Good to see you, man. Great. That was a great burger. I highly recommend it. Yes, sir. Well, he likes people and he likes to campaign and he's got a phenomenal memory. And, uh, and, you know, when he would, and he loved to, you know, he loved to campaign and, and particularly in places in, in where he wasn't expected to be. And, um, and he was, you know, high energy, he, in great physical shape, exercised every day, was at that point a runner. And, uh, but he was, uh, you know, he campaigned, you know, furiously and, uh, you know, never, never complained, oh, you've got me out there too long. He loved getting home and sleeping in his own bed. That was the one problem is that we did have to have a lot of late night flights that got back into Austin in time for him to catch eight hours of good sleep in his own bed before he jumped up the next day. I thought he was formidable. Uh, I talked to folks who knew him, like Paul Begala, who said he's an engaging person. Uh, he will be a good candidate. I was not one of the people who uh, downplayed what uh, the potential of the Bush candidacy, especially because Bush had come up with this formulation, which basically said, I'm not going to change much. We're going to keep the prosperity we have. Uh, we're certainly not going to go abroad searching for adventures. Uh, you know, we're going to have a humble foreign policy. But what I am going to do is restore honor and dignity to the White House and the Oval Office. Uh, so basically, he was running as the change candidate, but the change was not so much about policy. I mean, there was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some of the prosperity with the tax cut. But the change was not so much about policy. The change was, uh, was kind of a, a, a rebuke to the scandal of that, that afflicted the, the second Clinton term. The truth of the matter is, as a percent of gross domestic product, the taxes on the working people today are the highest they have been since World War II. We're having a fundamental disagreement between me and my opponent. He believes the surplus is the government's money. I believe the surplus is the people's money, and we ought to share some of it with the people. At the beginning, uh, Governor Bush ran mostly uh, on you might say on the Lewinsky uh, case, which he said his goal was to restore honor and dignity to the Oval Office. So we knew what that meant. But as it went on, uh, and that had, I think, reached a limit of effectiveness, uh, the Bush and the Bush campaign began to fall behind. He, he switched a bit and then began to run against Al as a uh, big spending, uh, big taxing liberal. Uh, incidentally, they said about me that actually on my record, I agreed more with George Bush than I did with Al Gore, which was not quite right, but it was a clever tactic. You gave Bill Clinton and me a chance to change the economic policies of America, and we did. And now, instead of the biggest deficits, we have the biggest surpluses. Instead of building up the debt, we're paying down the debt. Instead of a triple dip recession, we've seen a tripling of the market. As we headed into the fall, it's probably around that debate, uh, Gore and I had been ahead. We went ahead after the two conventions and around Labor Day uh, in the polling. And um, But then later in September, uh, when uh, Bush really picked up his attacks on 
Al Gore is a big spender, big taxer. Um, uh, the Bush campaign went ahead and they were uh, in the in, inner polling numbers. Uh, uh, Bush was ahead, particularly on national security and values. And I remember saying uh, to Al and to the campaign, well, Al's been on the Armed Services Committee. He he's a, has a record as a strong pro-defense Democrat. Um, we we got to bring that out. Um, so, but but people were concerned about those attacks, and I, I don't know whether they were adequately handled at that point or not. We've been through a lot in our nation since the assassinations of the 60s and all of the struggles and, and all of the... All of the the Vietnam War heartbreak and all the rest, but but we have always in every generation had enough men and women and young people who have been willing to come forward and say this is our country. It is the best in the world, the hope of humankind. With all our faults, we have the ability to form a more perfect union. We made a bid for West Virginia which everybody, all the national press said, what a bunch of lunatics. The state is heavily Democratic. Bob Dole lost it by 16 points. And these knuckleheads are trying to win it. The last time the Republicans won it in an open race for the presidency was 1928. And it took nominating a New York Catholic to bring out all the Methodists and Presbyterians and uh, Baptists in the hills and hollows of West Virginia to vote Republican for president. What knuckleheads. But we thought we had a chance to sweep it away. I, I was in coal country yesterday in West Virginia. There's an abundant supply of coal in America. I know we can do a better job of clean coal technologies. I'm we went up to West Virginia, had a great rally in Huntington, a huge crowd. It was really enthusiastic. And uh, that night I got a, a call from his friend, his close personal friend and campaign chairman, Don Evans, who was traveling with him. And he said, he's going to be calling you and he's not going to be happy. He said, you put us in the best hotel in Huntington, the Radisson. But unfortunately, it's right next to the train tracks and the trains ran all night. So Bush calls me and says, next time, check with the location of the hotel and make certain it's not next to the train tracks. I didn't get a good night's sleep and I'm about ready to go to my first debate. Good evening from the Clark Athletic Center at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. I'm Jim Lara of the NewsHour on PBS, and I welcome you to the first of three 90-minute debates between the Democratic candidate for president, Vice President Al Gore, and the Republican candidate, Governor George W. Bush of Texas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. We welcome the two candidates, Governor Bush and Vice President Gore. To be honest, uh, our debate prep was thorough. And we covered a lot of ground and we said that uh, the vice president should not react to Bush during the debate. Bob Shrum. That if he was frustrated or Bush said something that frustrated him, he should take a note on a legal pad. Uh, but just don't have any demonstrative reaction. Don't say anything that we haven't vetted. Uh, and, and don't invade Bush's space because someone did say, you know, you could throw him off 
by invading a space. I think we have to make the right and responsible choices. I think we have to invest in education, protecting the environment, health care, a prescription drug benefit that goes to all seniors, not just to the poor, under Medicare, not relying on HMOs and insurance companies. I think that we have to help parents and strengthen families by dealing with the kind of inappropriate entertainment material that families are just heart sick that their children are exposed to. I think we have got to have welfare reform taken to the next stage. I think that we have got to balance the budget every single year, pay down the national debt, and in fact, under my proposal, the, the national debt will be completely eliminated by the year 2012. I don't know why it happened, but it was kind of like a to-do list because uh, the vice president went out and when shaking hands with Bush pushed him back, uh, he sighed uh, repeatedly during uh, 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 while Bush was talking. And he said, uh, for example, that he had gone to this major forest fire with James Lee Witt, who was the director of the uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency. First, I want to compliment the governor on his response to those fires and, and floods in Texas. I, I accompanied James Lee Witt down to Texas when those fires broke out. Uh, and FEMA has been a major flagship project of our reinventing government efforts. And I agree, it works extremely well now. It made Gore look like what he is, which is the smarty pants. Carl Rove. I, I am so much better than you. I know much, so much more than you. And I'm going to mock you by huffing above. Oh, there he goes again with another stupid answer. The village idiot from Midland. I'm so smart. I'm so smart. And there's Bush talking in ways that connect with the ordinary American. So first of all, Gore was doing damage to himself, but then he was doing damage to the to 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 the to his, his cause in the way that he expressed that. It there was the footage of him going, and 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 and, and you know, the message was this guy, you know, he thinks he's smart. Man's practicing fuzzy math again. There's differences. Under Vice President Gore's plan, he's going to grow the federal government and the largest increase since Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1965. And we're talking about a massive government, folks. We're talking about adding to or, or increasing 200 new programs, 200 programs, 20,000 new bureaucrats. Imagine how many IRS agents it's going to take to be able to figure out his targeted tax cut for the middle class that excludes 50 million Americans. There is a huge difference in this campaign. He says he's going to give you tax cuts. 50 million of you won't receive it. He said in his speech, he wants to make sure the right people get tax relief. That's not the role of a president to decide right and wrong. Everybody who pays taxes ought to get tax relief. And I remember thinking at the time Gore had done pretty well. Juan Williams. And that it was clear that he was more conversant with the big topics, the kind of school reform issues, the budget issues and the like. He just seemed very comfortable, maybe even to the point of confident and cocky up there. Um, but it seemed to me just covering the answers given by the candidates and their comportment that you would say Al Gore looked pretty strong. In the first presidential debate, I thought he answered the questions. He showed how much better prepared he was to be president than Governor Bush. Senator Joe Lieberman. But the media reaction, some of it expectations, was that uh, Governor Bush was actually better than the media thought he would be, expected he would be. And they focused on these personal um, behaviors about Gore, like that he sighed or 
or uh, I, I don't know, I guess uh, rolled his eyes a few times on things that Bush said. Jim, uh, under my plan, I will put Medicare in an ironclad lockbox, prevent the money from being used for anything other than Medicare. The governor has declined to endorse that idea, even though the Republican as well as Democratic leaders of Congress have endorsed it. I'd be interested if this e- if he would this evening say that he would put Medicare in a lockbox. I don't think he will, because under his plan, if you work out the numbers, $100 billion comes out of Medicare just for the wealthiest 1% in the tax cut. Now, these are small beer offenses. The size were, you know, the people in the hall, they didn't even notice them. They were noticed on television. Uh, he hadn't gone to the forest fire with James Lee Witt. He'd gone with James Lee Witt's assistant. He just made a, a, a minor mistake. Uh, and... But what I and on substance, I would argue that Gore clearly won the first debate. Now, the reason I say this was a odd moment for me is that my mother was still alive. And I remember going to where she was living at the time. And she was living in a senior citizen housing complex and sitting with her that weekend and saying, Mom, did you watch the debate? And she, who was a lifelong union Democrat, said to me, wow, that Mr. Gore is so rude. He just kept rolling his eyes. He just kept looking like he had better things to do. And I was like, what? What are you, what? And she said, yeah, you know, and that Mr. Bush seemed like a pretty nice guy. And I was like, oh my God, I think I missed this story. The surest way to bust this economy is to increase the role and the size of the federal government. The Senate Budget Committee did a study of the Vice President's expenditures. They've projected that it could conceivably bust the budget by $900 billion. That means he's either going to have to raise your taxes by $900 billion or go into the Social Security surplus for $900 billion. The minute I walked into the spin room, I understood that the Bush people, and this was very smart, had turned the whole question of who won the debate to these stylistic issues. Uh, And... uh, so, you know, we, we were widely seen to have lost the first debate for that reason. It was not thought to be a positive experience. And I will just tell you, it, it fed into um, my debate. And ironically, I, I learned after the campaign that um, Dick Cheney had exactly the same experience I did, which is that in, in, the, in the, our debate preparation, we were uh, preparing for a, a real attack counterattack debate. It's very typical of vice presidential debates that um, uh, Dick Cheney would attack Gore or me and I had to be ready uh, to respond. And I had attacks on Bush and Cheney that I was ready to make. So uh, uh, after the presidential debate, the, the pollsters for the campaign flew into Kentucky and said, uh, the public really didn't like the first presidential debate. Too much uh, antagonism. So we strongly recommend to you, uh, don't attack Cheney. And I was all ready with all, I said, because he, he had some very, I thought, embarrassing votes when he was in the House of Representatives long back. No, we, we really, so we didn't. America has a, a national strategic interest and a principled interest in peace in the Middle East, and uh, Al Gore has played a critical role in advancing that process 
over the last eight years. We made uh, significant breakthroughs, I think, at the end of the uh, Bush administration because of the Gulf War. Uh, in effect, we had uh, joined together with uh, Arab allies and, and uh, done enormous damage to the Iraqi armed forces, and Iraq at the time was the biggest military threat to Israel. Uh, by uh, virtue of the end of the Cold War, the Soviets uh, were no longer a factor. They used to fish in troubled waters whenever they had the opportunity in the Middle East. But with the end of the Soviet Union, uh, the implosion, if you will, of the empire, that created uh, uh, a vacuum, if you will, and made it easier for us to operate there. It was cerebral. Um, and that's good. Uh, there's nothing more than having a civil, cerebral, issue-oriented debate. Brad Blakeman. You know, I was proud of both of them. Uh, the way they comported themselves, the way they answered. You know, these are two statesmen. Uh, yeah, they're political adversaries, but we need more people like these guys. And then later on, I, I learned that Matt Dowd, who was the Republican pollster that year, had exactly the same conversation with Cheney, and Dick had exactly the same response I did, uh, which was, you mean I can't attack for this and that? I mean, no. Well, the odd thing was that, that the two of us were liberated to have a debate that I, I, I will always be proud of because we disagreed on a lot of things, but it was a very civil, thoughtful debate. The primary purpose of a VP debate is to show America that the number two is ready to be number one if, in fact, that day should ever come. And I don't think there's any doubt about it in looking either at Cheney or Lieberman, that they're ready to assume the power of the presidency. Um, so that box was checked so that, in effect, they both did their job. The Wyoming Wilderness Bill, frankly, was one of my proudest achievements as a member of Congress. I worked on that with a good friend, Al Simpson, for example, for about four years. We set aside a part of Wyoming, uh, nearly a million acres of wilderness that uh, ought to be uh, separate and not be developed. We think that was important. There are a lot of areas around the country where Governor Bush and I, for example, support uh, uh, restraints. No matter how strong we are economically, if we remain dependent on a source of energy that is outside our control, we're not going to be as strong as we should be. And others around the world can effectively yank our chain, and, and we cannot allow that to continue to happen. He did not do well. Uh, he, he, was, he was gentle and, and soft. And Dick Cheney, who went into that debate as the least popular of the four people on the two major party tickets, came out of it as the most popular. Gore, as we have suggested, looked like he had an advantage coming in. Uh, he had not performed as well as people like me thought in that first debate. Um, and there was lots of talk then about the schmirks and the eye rolling and the notion that he was too confident, maybe even, you know, arrogant. So now it was much more about seeming like a gentleman. And George W. Bush oftentimes uh, suggesting that he and Gore had similar uh, policy positions, which was a surprise given the Republican anger coming out of the Newt Gingrich years and Clinton and the like. But now you're starting to see that for Bush, there is an advantage in suggesting that there's no radical uh, approach that's going to be taken if you vote Republican. We're a freedom-loving nation, and if we're an arrogant nation, they'll, they'll view us that way. But if we're a humble nation, they'll respect us. A humble nation? 
I agree with that. I agree with that. I thought he did not well in the second debate uh, because he basically did a 180 and kept telling Bush it was on foreign policy. I agree with you or I, I don't disagree with that. I think it was 15 times he said, I agree or I don't disagree or some formulation like that. I think uh, I think marriage is a sacred institution. It's, I'm going to be respectful for people who may disagree with me. I've had a record of doing so in the state of Texas. I've been a been a person that would have been called a uniter, not a divider, because I accepted some, I accept other people's points of view. But I, I feel strongly that uh, that uh, marriage should be between a man and a woman. Vice President Gore? I agree with that, and uh, I did support that law. But I think that we should find a way uh, to allow some kind of uh, civic unions. And I basically agree with Dick Cheney and Joe Lieberman. And I think the three of us have one view and the governor has another view. We knew how disastrous Gore did. Um, Gore was trying to reinvent himself. Uh, it wasn't working. Um, so, I mean, you know, if, if, why change direction if things are working? So there was no need to be overly aggressive or, or be different than you were in your first appearance. Thank you for listening. I'm asking for your vote. And God bless. Bernard Carrick was sworn in, and with his wife and daughter by his side, he pledged to try to improve the relationship between the police and the community. The ultimate goal is to make Britannica available everywhere uh, through any device that can connect to the Internet. And I think if the Reform Party ever did cho choose him, if I don't run and they choose him, I think it's a disaster for the Reform Party. bodies were pulled from the bomb-damaged USS Cole, an important clue turned up not far away in the port city of Aden. Yemeni investigators say they found bomb-making equipment in a house, and they believe two men who spent some time there are linked to the bombing of the coal. The men are apparently not from Yemen and are possibly Saudi. This comes as Yemen's president now admits the explosion was a criminal act, not an accident, as he first claimed. Meantime, Osama bin Laden, reputed mastermind of the U.S. embassy bombings in Africa, spoke out in a Pakistani newspaper. As a possible suspect in the coal bombing, he warned the U.S. not to attack his home in retaliation, and he vowed to continue fighting the enemies of Islam. The U.S. did retaliate against bin Laden after the embassy bombings, and officials are not ruling out military action this time against whoever's to blame for the attack on the coal. The campaign reaction is we are not going to exploit um, an act of terror against a sitting president or vice president. Um, we need to hang together as a country. And uh, there, there shouldn't, have, shouldn't have been, and there wasn't, in my opinion, and I never experienced any division in, in our campaign or any sense of exploitation of a terrorist act for political gain. I uh, hope that they gather enough intelligence to figure out who did the act take the necessary action there must be a consequence you know there have been discussions in the briefing sessions about terrorism because we'd had the attack the first attack on the world trade center and of course the coal attack was immediately seen by people like condi rice and dick cheney and uh, you know others that were part of the foreign policy advising team as a clear expression of, of al-qaeda uh, but terrorism and the threat of is islamic extremism played such a small role in the fall of 2000 
and particularly in the aftermath of the cold. The difficulty with it was, of course, that it was removed. Uh, it was far away. Americans had died, but it was being handled by the current administration. And it was less of a question about what we would do going forward because everyone was in agreement that something had to be done. You had to somehow restrain people. You had to respond and the like. But again, it was on the incumbent. To those who attack them, we say, you will not find a safe harbor. We will find you. And justice will prevail. I welcome you to this third and final campaign 2000 debate between the Democratic candidate for president of Vice President Al Gore and the Republican candidate, Governor George W. Bush of Texas. Let's welcome the candidates now. third debate, I think he did very well because we were on the issues that we wanted to be central to the election. Social Security, uh, where Bush had actually said was not a federal program. He has promised a trillion dollars out of the Social Security Trust Fund for young working adults to invest and save on their own. But he's promised seniors that their Social Security benefits will not be cut. And he's promised the same trillion dollars to them. So this is the show me state. Reminds me of the line from the movie, show me the money. Which one of those promises will you keep and which will you break, Governor? We were on Social Security. We were on education. We were on the economy. We were on the issues that we wanted to talk about. And he did very well, I thought, in the third debate. I propose $100 billion for this purpose. The governor proposes $45 billion. I propose more than twice as much because I think it's needed. Governor Bush, two minutes. If this were a spending contest, I'd come in second. George W. Bush was likable. He was he related to the questions. Um, he looked people in the eye. And, you know, uh, Gore acted like the schoolyard bully who was trying to shake Governor Bush down for his lunch money. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. Governor, what is your are you opposed to affirmative action? No, if affirmative action means quotas, I'm against it. If affirmative action means what I just described, what I'm for, then I'm for it. You heard what I was for. Vice President keeps saying I'm against things. You heard what I was for. And that's what I support. What about Mr. Vice President? You heard what he said. He said if affirmative action means quotas, he's against it. Affirmative action doesn't mean Good. quotas. Are you for it without quotas? Well, I may not be for your version, Mr. Vice President, but I am for what I just described to the lady. She Are you for answer. what the Supreme Court says is a, a constitutional way of having affirmative action? Jim, just let's go on to another another. Uh, and it's, a, it's a question. No, it doesn't speak question. for itself, Mr. Vice President. It speaks for the fact that there are certain rules in this that we all agree to, but evidently rules don't mean anything. <laughs> we actually had been told by uh, Judd Gregg, who played the role of Al Gore in the debate, prep that that Gore would try and do what he did, which is try and move over and menace Bush and sort of, you know, intimidate him. And we all laughed it off because we thought it was so stupid. But it turned out Greg was right. What had happened is in his last race for the U.S. Senate in 1988, Al Gore ran against the mayor of Knoxville, who turns out to have been a longtime friend of Bush named Victor Ash. And for some reason or other, Gore accepted eight debates with him. 
And in every one of them, he just lacerated him because he is the classic high school debater. And poor Victor is out there getting slashed and burned. Now, Victor is, Gore is sort of a big guy. He's not tall, but he's sort of a big guy. And Victor is slight and small. And so what, it, what Gore would do is he would literally, there would be Victor answering a question and then over comes Gore into his face and Victor is like completely discombobulated. Well, Bush is not discombobulatable, to coin a word. So, so, so when Gore sort of makes the move over there, Bush is like amused. You could just, you could see him on the face. It's like, hey, they told me you're going to do something stupid like this. Well, the difference is, is that I can get it done that I can get something positive done on behalf of the people. That's what the question in this campaign is about. It's not only what's your philosophy and what's your position on issues, but can you get things done? And I believe I can. All right. It was comical. And Bush, all he had to do is dismiss it with a nod. And he looked like a complete idiot. And, and we went through this, I can tell you, because I was there, about not invading personal space and, you know, don't walk in front of each other's camera shots and be, be respectful. The governor will certainly do it. We asked the vice president. Well, you know, uh, you don't have to lecture us on uh, on how a vice president will comport himself. I mean, it was just such an arrogance that, and then when it happened, it was totally expected. But, you know, Governor Bush dismissed him with a nod. It was just one of these moments where so much information was transmitted without speaking a single word that, uh, again, it, but people take things like that and make judgments about who you are. And they made a judgment about Gore that was he's unlikable and he's sort of a, a bully. And Bush has got a good sense of humor and wasn't phased by that. And he's comfortable in his own skin. So lots of information transmitted in literally a matter of a few seconds and, and, and sort of accentuated and settled with a, with a head bob at the end, you know. Our opponents want to give it all away in an enormous tax cut that mostly benefits the wealthy. And there's nothing wrong with being rich. In America, everybody dreams of being rich. But the fact is, when you've got this kind of surplus, you shouldn't give it most to those who need it least and least to those who need it most. After that peaceful, constructive vice presidential debate, uh, both campaigns sent Dick Cheney and me out to go back on the attack. <laughs> it was interesting. I was sent to Texas and I did a, oh, two or three uh, public events there, which did get some national attention, uh, in which I criticized Governor Bush's record on health care and the environment uh, particularly. But we've just worked very hard because you could see this was coming down to the end, and I will tell you that, you know, at the end of every week or the beginning, uh, I'm, I'm Sabbath observant Jewish, so I don't work on Friday night and Saturday. So either Friday and usually Sunday before I went out again or Saturday night, my campaign manager would give me the latest polling. And in the week before Election Day, from our own polling, uh, uh, we, I was told that we were like, that Bush was ahead, but it was really a dead heat. It was the margin of error. In other words, he was ahead by two points uh, in our latest uh, polling so that uh, we were just going to work our hearts out through Election Day. I'm going to shake as many hands as I can and speak all across the nation, and I hope you join me. And if we're successful on that day like I think we can be, when I put my hand on the Bible, January of 2001, I will swear to not only uphold the laws of the land, I will swear to uphold the honor 
and the integrity of the office to which I have been elected. So help me God. Thank you all for coming. God bless. Gore had been a United States Senator for, uh, or, or Vice President for you know 20 some odd, nearly 30 years. He knew these issues uh, deeply. He had, particularly in like the defense arena, he'd been on armed services. And so, uh, you know, we knew that we were not going up against, you know, a lightweight when it came to the substance of the issues. So I felt good about it. But then came that fateful Thursday before the election, and uh, I didn't feel so good that day. Next time on Election Rewind. My opponent was trying to escape the shadow of the president, but I was reading in the newspaper, the shadow is back. Are you ready to win this election for Al Gore? I'm the first to say that uh, what I did was wrong. Uh, and I've corrected that. Of course, in a campaign, you always think that your opponent is behind anything that's critical or bad. I had to spend a lot of time on television denying that we had anything to do with the leaking of the story because we had nothing to do with it. Oh, there was kind of a feeding frenzy about it. I've got my suspicions. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.